Live from the Coachella Valley, time for another hour of the desert scene. Art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. Welcome to the Culture Corner. This is Brian and, well, Bonnie and Brian, BNB. I'm always messing B&B. up that line. BNB. <laughs> but I think that's Hope Diamond on the line. Let's oh, see. let's hope so. Yay. Is that Hope? Hello. Is that Hope on the line? This is Hope. Yay. Hope is here. The fabulous Hope Diamond. Um, <laughs> she is uh, a buddy of mine and she's a wonderful, she's a jazz diva, jazz blues diva oh. in the desert. <laughs> and uh, she's oh, got a wow. lot going on. She's got a new album, mm. a lot going on with the Frankie's back. We love Frank, Frankie and Luca, who run Frankie's yeah, Old, old uh, World Italian Bakery and Supper Club. They have the back yeah, room. Yeah. And Hope basically designed that. She and Frankie together <laughs> created this back room, this beautiful, like, New York Cabaret back room. So, <laughs> welcome, Hope, and tell us what's happening at Frankie's. Thank you. My gosh. First of all, Bonnie, Miss Beautiful, Miss Diva yourself, Diva Diva. Ah, you're sweet. <laughs> it's really great to be on the call today. Um, you know, everything's it's amazing that we're still humming in a way, mm-hmm. even though everything's kind of like on the downbeat. We're on the upbeat because we have amazing artists that we're keeping alive by them coming to Frankie's every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's somebody different performing virtually. Right. And Including it's, you. It's fabulous, yeah. <laughs> and we've and Eric and I have done it a number of times. It's good. And yeah. really, and really, I think you kind of helped start. I think we like did. Probably, I think you guys helped kick it off. I yeah. think we were either and now, first one or and, second. And now we have over 20 artists mm-hmm. and uh, growing. And now we have a waiting list till November, late November. And uh, the list has grown and the variety has continued to rise. It's beautiful. It just gives people a great outlet. And there's no no place to really play the food for musicians to bread, we call it, for musicians. Right. It's really been helpful, mm-hmm. I think. And, uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> tell, tell people uh, if, who might not know about it, tell them about the project music, uh, Bread, how they can be part of it. Yeah. Um, bread for Musicians started when I, I just love the theme. Um, and I think of bread because Frankie is always making warm, wonderful Delicious. bread in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody that's anybody that's a musician knows what bread means, mm-hmm. right? That's dough. And what yeah. does dough mean? Money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said, well, let's try to help. I mean, it was really bad. And mm-hmm. it's still bad. We thought it'd be all over in terms of people getting, being able to perform again. Yeah. So these guys are out of gigs. A lot of them, this is their livelihood. This is the way they make their living because they're fabulous musicians. Right. Many of them came to the desert to do that art and all uh, stood out. But now with the, all the places closed, um, we thought we just could do a little something. We can't, you know, buy all their groceries, but if someone gives a gift card, drops it off at Frankie's, he gives them a loaf of bread too. Yeah. And he also has the gift cards then pile up and we're able to, any musician that comes in that that is in need, we we give what we can yeah. from to them to help them for that week if we can. It's wonderful, Frankie's so great, and you know the the live stream that they're doing right now. I think it's the only place in the desert that's doing that at an actual venue. I know people are doing it from their homes, but um, Frankie's got his kind of his own unique thing going, which is great. Yeah, I think so too, and particularly with the new ruling that that. Uh, still being interpreted mm-hmm. regarding no longer being able to perform in your own place um, 
with tracks, yeah. we, I think, have the standard of with the live music. And I'm so glad, Bonnie, that that's your stick, mm-hmm. being on that live music. I'd r- much rather be have live, yeah. Yeah, because you're jazzy like that. And it really makes a difference. And, uh, I mean, I, I, people, I mean, we've seen the hits later on in the week, 1,000, 2,000. You know, wow. people that have continued to chime in on that artist. That's great. For the week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, crazy. so tell us, you're also working on a new, I know you have a single out, you're working on a new album, mm-hmm. right? Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I fell in love with this song called Never Can Say Goodbye. It mm-hmm. was how it all started with a big band artist that I performed with named Paul McDonald. He says, oh, really, really, I think this song is you. And he's mostly uh, standards for him to go into um, a little bit of pop was okay with me. And so we decided to record that, and that was my first single this year. And since that time, um, we decided, I had already been writing on this project for a new song that's going to be an original on the album. Excellent. We decided to do what they call an EP, Bonnie. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. Tell me about it. Um, This is a new way I'd like to just kind of say to everyone out there listening in in Radio Land, the EP is a way to still get your product out that you may find that you really love singing. That's maybe a, a, a cover or it's a single that you've written. It's only six songs, and CD Baby recognizes it as an album. Mm-hmm. Uh, six to eight songs as opposed to 14 to 20, which can wow. cost you anywhere from 10 to 20,000, mm-hmm. depending on where you want your to lay your music. Yeah. I found an amazing studio in L.A., uh, very high-end musicians, and the studio musicians are all background cats that mm-hmm. go to the world for big artists. I've yeah. got a couple of them on my album. Excellent. And uh, it'll be out this November. Yay! called Awaken. <laughs> and we've got some um, pop, jazz, folk, and R&B on those. Um, Excellent. Uh, and my, one original. Brian, my, fr- my co-host Brian has a question for you. Now, I wanted to ask... Uh, uh, oh, are you Brian, Yeah, Brian has Brian. a question for you. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Hello. I wanted to ask you specifically. Now, you said something about the song Never Can Say Goodbye. Tell us more about your connection with that song, because you mentioned something really briefly about it. Okay. Um, Never Can Say Goodbye, as any many um, uh, dancing people might know, remember it from the Gloria Gaynor days yeah. when it was yeah. really fast pop disco. The other cool cat's probably about your age, Brian. Remember it from um, Michael Jackson. Yes, I remember oh, his yeah. version, yeah. No, the, I remember mm-hmm. the Gloria Gaynor one, too. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. A great song. It's a great song. <laughs> yeah. And then those that are like from that soul train, I remember it with uh, Isaac Hayes, a very slow, very dynamic version of it. So what Paul did, McDonald, is to, as the arranger and conductor, he slowed it down more and made it really jazzy. Mm-hmm. And it's been on my CD and iTunes, Excellent. CD Baby and iTunes, and Spotify and other uh, areas. You can go and hear it. And it's become really popular, particularly in England. We've been really raising hey, the Hey, you're a big star there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Can't cool. wait to go tour there if possible. <laughs> so, Hope, I wanted to ask you, I know um, Frankie's, we're all really excited about the new casino uh, in Cathedral City because it's so close to Frankie's, uh, and uh, I think it's really uh, going to help uh, his business once they uh, open. Uh, um, now, uh, so do you know, uh, is it November, December they're thinking about opening? Do you know? Hey, you're trying to get something out of me, girl. Well, I don't know. I'm just wondering. I know you're hooked in. I'm just wondering. We just need a hint. <laughs> just a hint of something. Just a hint. <laughs> well, if everyone is 
<laughs> they know that um, that it's actually not going to be a hotel type of casino, and it's not going to have um, ballrooms and banquet rooms mm-hmm. and uh, concert rooms like the other one, the beautiful one on Bob Hope. It has a, a, a pavilion that will open up into a beautiful courtyard that's, that okay. holds, I don't know, so they can, so they'll be able to have, a, you know, sometimes thing there. Occasional special things. Yeah. Very, but it's not going to be a regular place for music, mm-hmm. which then allows Frankie to run around on the corner. Yes. To hopefully get some of that uh, people that still want to hang out and party. Perfect. Before or after. Mm-hmm. And as far as opening date, who am I to say what the governor or the chief, the Indian chief, chief of chiefs, going to decide? But uh, I heard on a grapevine it's going to be a softer opening this year, mm-hmm. not a hard opening. Right. We certainly want to jump on it when it does come yeah. to that big, big celebration. I'll keep you in mind, Bonnie, and oh, keep you touch. You gotta let me know, because well, first of all, they gotta they gotta finish it. Looks like it's almost done, but they gotta finish it first, and then they have to decide mm-hmm. what they're gonna do as far as virus rules and all that stuff too. And that's right, you know, and plus balancing those machines, the gaming has to get involved, the state has to get involved once the machines are put in mm-hmm. to calibrate them. And, and there's just so many other little tiny things that have to be done, and they haven't even laid carpet, and they right. haven't even finished laying cement. So um, things do, they do work 24 hours a day, I heard. Yeah. But it's going to be beautiful. Frankie's, you know, we, we don't know what the future will bring for us because of the virus. We want to be very conscientious of, of people. And mm-hmm. our position is we're, we're not going to reopen as um, the rule state right now. Uh, I think it's, what, 25 people yeah, per Because it's, it's just not feasible financially, I don't think, for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I think not, even though we're smaller, but we are bigger, you know, mm-hmm. because with us holding 70, 75 people in Frankie's Backroom and Supper Club, which, which is right behind. hmm Right around the corner, yeah. <laughs> so tell us real, real quick. Um, are you, are you, you're even glamming it up more, aren't you? Planning for the new opening of the back room. I am, God, God willing. I'm actually looking at doing another level to it. I never wanted Frankie's back room to be a a high end sparkle place. I wanted it to feel like that New York speakeasy. Mm-hmm. I really want you to, I've crowded into places and it was just amazing, wonderful to be shoulder to shoulder, trying to kiss the best place in the club, in the jazz spot to see an artist. Right. Um, I've been to Beijing, jazz club there, to um, all the way, you know, around the U.S. and different places. And it's always wonderful when, when it's just crowded. You know, it's going to be a good vibe that night. Right. So with Frankie's, though, there are some other little things I want to take to just the next level. If you go on Frankie's uh, Italian Bakery, old Italian Bakery, you can see the um, places on back the website. There in the back room. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm just going to add some more sparkle. Yeah. I'm going to do some beautiful things behind that beautiful black baby grand piano. Mm-hmm. I want to do some more lighting, and we are trying to get some investors in terms of air, AC. Yeah. You know. After all, it is a warehouse <laughs> yeah so it gets a little warm so we got to make sure we get that you know uh taken care of but boy do we have sold out crowds every yeah time in the supper club if you guys I mean, you've had amazing crowds yeah. you know i remember all those beautiful very classy people that came yeah. class that place up I'd yeah say. <laughs> well if you if people if you have not been to frankie's now of course we're, we're not 
really, really. I mean, they, now he does do curbside no. delivery. You can do takeout on the food. The food is great. <laughs> you can do takeout. Yeah, takeout. curbside takeout. delivery. But keep watching for word about when Frankie's back room really mm, reopens because it's such a great room and it's, he's got such great musicians and it really is mm-hmm. does remind you of so that that New York speakeasy fun <laughs> little cabaret room. It's and there's not that many places like that in the desert. There really aren't. No, I love the, everywhere that we can go. I mean, I, we all know our staple, the ones that have been here for a minute that are really cool, you know, but we're just another added one and now new with Cathedral City growing by Yes. Oh, really growing. Now, and I live right there. I'm in Cathedral City. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm right in the heart of everything. Yeah. We are looking, though, and you sure are, but we are looking hint, hint at a possible great uh, Autumn's Eve uh, outdoor event. We decided we're going to pull out the stops for the evening. For oh, okay, okay. All right, we'll watch for that. All right. mm-hmm. Well, Hope Diamond, and if you need you need to go on Hope Diamond's website, listen to her single when the album comes out, because this girl can sing. This girl can sing. If you haven't heard her, you need to hear her and go see her. Hope Diamond, thank you so much. I love you, and you have done some. You, you too. That back room looks so fabulous, and I know that... Um, <laughs> Uh, as much as we love Frankie, he needed a a, a guiding hand, a, a woman's hand, a, you know, glam to, to come up, put that together. It looks great. We're looking forward to the backroom opening, looking forward to your CD, looking forward to the casino opening. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you. We love you. Love you, Brian. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. For all right. Bye, Brian. We'll be back on the Culture Corner in just a minute. The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's The Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. Hey, welcome back to The Culture Corner with Bonnie and Brian. B&B. B&B, the B&Bs. But... Oh, we got a story for you. So, honest. So, we've actually talked about the Ellen DeGeneres situation a couple episodes ago, probably in the first or second episode, and now we're following up with it because she decided to have an apology on her current season of it, which is the 18th season. Now, everyone knew she was gonna talk about it. Mm-hmm. That that was the thing. Everyone knew she was gonna talk about it at some point, and if she didn't talk about it, then that would be the that sub- would be the big story. Yeah, that would yeah. be the subject. Yeah, yeah. And her, she got a pretty good ratings boost out of this, so I think she's kind of like, okay, I got some ratings out of mm-hmm. it, but can't speculate too much on her. So, what was your opinion of her on-air apology? My personal opinion is that when I saw it, I didn't really appreciate the jokes i kind of felt that the jokes should have been serious all the way through yeah especially with some of the allegations i don't think we mentioned it on air but one of her um producers 
they got fired. They actually were accused of sexual misconduct at a party. And some people have speculated that if it was a woman that he harassed instead of a man, it would have gotten more press. And, you know, I'm kind of prone to kind of believe that because mm-hmm. I think Ellen should have done more to kind of disavow him mm-hmm. on air. And I also felt that her tangent about the be kind lady, that actually, I, you didn't, I don't know if you've seen the full apology, but the I be, saw some of it, then. but the be kind mm-hmm. part was, you almost got the impression that she just wanted to talk about this image rather than who she was, Mm -hmm. than what was going on. And I think that that's the problem is that you should talk about how you hurt people, not how people view you. I think saying, oh, I feel kind of constricted by the be kind label. Well, that's the thing is that you chose to use that. She made it all about her rather than who the people she hurt. Is that what you're saying? Basically, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that it's important for her to acknowledge that she contributed to a toxic work environment. And I think that people need to hear her take responsibility because the fact is that when you work at a toxic place, you, you yourself are going to be responsible for it. If your name is on the door, you're at the top, the buck stops with you. Yep. And yep. the thing is, too, is that she didn't really address. I, I, I kind of felt it was a lot of like filler words and filler ideas rather than, hey, let's actually address specific events. Like she didn't actually address like her the accusations of her being rude at restaurants, the accusations. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them was the one of the accusations she never addressed was the fact that she never apparently apparently uh, there was mm-hmm. an allegation that she never wanted an intern or an employee to talk to her so she was walking down like if she was in an elevator and you were an employee there Mm -hmm. apparently she did not want you to even look at her or to talk to her and i feel like that's an allegation that needed to be addressed because that's not even once or twice all these on this twitter thread now twitter of course take it with a grain of salt you never know. know right right now you have I have to say that once you see like 100 threads of people saying, hey, I did, she didn't want me to even look at her. You then got, you have to wonder. Yeah. You, you begin yeah. to wonder because when there's smoke, there's got to be some fire. fire. Yeah. And we're in California. So if we see smoke, we know there's a fire yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Can I just jump in here? I think it, this is so basic. And this is what I think po- politicians often, but, but showbiz people too as well. People... If you do something wrong, if you make a mistake, you do something wrong, If pe- what people really want is for you to come out and address it and apologize about it. When you don't or you sweep it under the rug of the cover-up, that's what makes people crazy and that's what makes it so much worse. We all make mistakes. Everybody does. But if she'd come out and just sat and looked straight in the camera and said, I'm sorry, you know, this, you know, I'm going to address this and I did, you know, now if she's going to say such and such wasn't true, well, then I don't know. But but to not address some of these specific things, and that makes me crazy. I've heard this about it. I've heard this about a number of people. You heard it about Prince. I've heard it about Diana Ross. I've heard it about Jennifer Lopez. Don't look at me. Don't You're not allowed to look at the person. Don't talk to me. And I think that is just absurd. I don't care who you are. You, if you're going to, that's just childish and give me a break. Please. And I think especially she should be considered of the fact that she herself could lose her career again. And the first time she lost it, I felt sympathy for her because she actually lost it for being gay. And I and I honestly felt her apology for the George Bush friendship was way more sincere than this was. But I do want to say that according to BuzzFeed, which actually was the whistleblower in this, there was an employee that said the average person will 
listen to it and make their own choices. But what people don't always take into account is that information is power. And she's sharing it now because it's for premiere week and it's going to get viewers back. And that just feels opposite of what the message is about. Mm -hmm. She felt this employee felt that it was tactical that it was nice that you know ultimately like it was addressed but it was tactical convenient strategy for her yeah yeah. and they said that that some of their employees felt there was trauma there that there was a lot of trauma like some of these accusations dealt with ellen making racist remarks ellen being like really cold-hearted and Mm -hmm. look i think a lot of us like to call the generation my generation in particular sensitive but it's Mm -hmm. like i think we're getting to a point where we're addressing that you're boss being mean is not a good boss like i think we're getting tired of people being pushed around by their bosses because trust me there's a reason why a lot of people are unhappy and why there's high suicide rates in a lot of countries with really harsh work environments yes yeah and the fact is that making an making jokes when addressing these allegations and comments not the thing to do no definitely not it's in my in my personal opinion it missed the mark but i do recommend for further reading BuzzFeed News' article, Current and Former Ellen Employees Said Her Online Air Apology Missed the Mark. Now that, this is a good read, and honestly, it did. And those are the people that she really should have been addressing. All right, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Ellen. You never know. I'm sure we'll hear more about this down the road. We'll be back on the Culture Corner. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. Now we're back on The Culture Corner and now we're getting to literature. I love literature. I love reading. And we got an author on the line, David Eugene Perry, the author of Upon This Rock. Are you there on the line? Oh, boy, I am indeed. Hi, Bonnie and Brian. Thank you for spending part of your Saturday with me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just want to let people know real quick. So David's been on the show many times before as in his other life as a PR guy. He's wonderful. He's the founder and CEO of David Perry and Associates, full service marketing PR firm. And you've done PR for Desart, some other local theaters in town. And you've done some writing. But now, is this your first novel, I think? it, it is indeed my first novel. I started something in my 20s, and it put it put it in a drawer, and it's still there, although I'm thinking about taking it out. But this I started in 2014, 15, and yes, it is my first published novel. And it's fascinating because it's um, uh, it's it's sort of Da Vinci Code ish in that um, set in Italy, and there's some intrigue and some mystery, and a lot of the, the popes, a lot of popes and religious people running around. How did you how did you come up with this story? Where did that start from? Well, thanks. First of all, I'm going to quote you saying it's Da Vinci Code esque because evidently <laughs> that's golden to my publisher, okay. Bonnie Kilgallen, Da Vinci Code esque. <laughs> Um, Well, I mean, the real quick synopsis is in 2014, my husband, Alfredo, and I took a sabbatical. We lost within less than a year our four best friends. They Uh, all died. And it was very sudden. And we were their caregivers and we needed a break. Mm -hmm. And out of the blue, a friend emailed me and said, do you know anyone who would like to do a house swap? And I said, sure. He said, don't you want to know where it is? I said, where? He said, a little town in Italy. I said, that sounds great. He said, don't you want to see it? I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we're going. Yeah. So they took our house and we went to Orvieto, sight unseen, and found it to be not only one of the most beautiful towns I've ever seen, but a town rich 
in history. As you mm-hmm. said, a lot of Da Vinci Code sort of in- things going on mm-hmm. and lots of popes. Mm-hmm. And the first day in town, literally, we arrived on the fourth anniversary of the of a suicide of a young deacon, a much beloved man named Lucas Sedata. And I became obsessed with the story. And the more I learned about the story, the more I became inspired to turn it into fiction. So the book is complete fiction, but it was inspired by this true story. Now, did you have to do, this looks to me like you had to do a lot of research, a lot about Latin and popes and the history of Italy. And well, that's a a lot of research involved in this, it looked like to me. Uh, it, It was. And, you know, I... I love research and I love history. And I think is the character Lee in the book, who is a young PR guy from San Francisco, no relation to me, of course. Um, <laughs> but loosely based on you. History. Yeah. yeah, there's more history in Orvieto per square foot than anywhere on Earth. And I was totally off the grid in Orvieto for those four months where I wrote the first 70% of the book. But I went to the local archives. I did do some search online that didn't involve you know, my personal social media feeds or anything. And I really researched a lot. And then also in Orvieto, I met a number of people, including a wonderful woman named Erica Bazzari. She's 91. She's written a book about Orvieto, who introduced me to several people who remembered the events in World War II, which take part of the plot. So, yeah, a lot of research. And that was really fun. I told people all the, the story is fiction. But the history in the book is impeccable. If it says says something happened on this date and this time, whether it was the Renaissance or World War II, it's true. Now, did you, did you, uh, the the book that you started in your 20s that's in the drawer, was that a fictional, fiction novel also? It was. It was a book, uh, it was written during the worst of the AIDS era when I was in my early 20s. And the main character is a catering waiter who works for the White House during that period when AIDS was existing, but there wasn't any test. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think, honestly, the reason I never finished it, I got within three chapters of finishing it. I thought, if I finish it, I'm going to die. I know that sounds silly, but wow. that pandemic did something to gay men of my generation. But now that we're in the middle of another pandemic, I have an idea that the last three chapters will be finished by that same character now 40 years in the future. So we'll, we'll see. Do you, I always like to ask people who write, I do a little writing myself. Do you, are you one of those people that you are disciplined? You say, okay, every day I'm going to sit down at my computer at 10 o'clock and I'm going to write till two, or do you wake up three in the morning inspired and go write? Well, it's certainly not the latter. Okay. Um, I, I do like the, I, I, when I wrote upon this rock, literally every day in Orvieto, I would write for six to eight hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, that's when my husband Alfredo started his love of hiking because I said, I, can't, I have to be alone. So in a sense, yeah. that is my, I have to be alone. So he would go out for six hours hiking and then come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, however, the thing about night, I often fall asleep thinking about things in my head. And I know it sounds weird, but I don't write it down. I just trust that if I sleep on it, if I wake it'll up in still the morning be there. and I thought it's still there, it'll still be there. And some of my best ideas, I think, have come from that. Uh, and let me ask you, I, because I'm, I, I think everybody has a book. I have a book that I'm sort of working on. It's been forever, and mine's nonfiction. Um, publishing, I know a lot of people these days self-publish. I know that's easier than it used to be. Uh, how did you find your publisher, and was that a tough thing to do to get done well thanks you know bonnie yes and i i you do write beautifully as i well know some of the best arts writing i've ever read has been from you and of course you have a gorgeous voice to go along with it oh you're so sweet self-publishing is 
great for a lot of people. I said that I was going to give myself six months, and if I didn't find a publisher, I would Mm self-publish. But I actually got offers from two publishers, and the short answer about how you find it is you have to be relentless. Every time I would meet an author, I would say, who's your publisher? And they would tell me, and I'd write them. I wrote bunches of publishers, and I sent the first eight chapters of my book to Linden Press, which is a small uh, publication, a small press owned by a family in Fresno, and they loved it. Mm-hmm. And I signed a contract in January of 2019. And so then for the next year, it edits it the cover and all of that. The thing about having a publisher is you have someone who's giving you another opinion. And honestly, they made it a better book. My editor, Kent Sorsky, was so sensitive and so wonderful. And I would say 85% of the edits he gave me, I took. The other 15%, he said, you know, this is your book. I would say, well, Kent, I really think it should be this way. And he said... As you as you wish. So having another eye on the book, I think, can make it more marketable as well. Mm-hmm. Well, now, what about your your partner? Uh, did he uh, did you did you sh- uh, show him chapters as you wrote it? Did you wait till the whole thing was over? And did he have some great ideas for you also? Well, so to, real quickly, Alfredo Casusa, my husband and life partner for twenty two years, also partner in business. He, I told him the idea for the book one day, and we were in Venice. Actually, we'd taken a little trip to Morvieto during the sabbatical, and he said, hmm, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Since Alfredo is not nearly as hyperbolic as I am, him saying, hmm, not bad, was wild praise. Okay. So I started to write, and he did not read any of it until it was done. Okay. And people think, oh, Alfredo, you showed it to him. I was like, no, I, writing for me is a solitary experience. Mm-hmm. So the day it was finished, in August 2018, we were back in Orvieto, and I said, it's finished. Now you can read it. And I remember Alfredo said, well, this is not too much pressure on my marriage um, <laughs> because I knew if he didn't like it or had things that he questioned, he would tell me, mm-hmm. honestly. And he read two chapters a day and then he got halfway through it and he said he couldn't put it down. And that's when I knew, OK, maybe I've got a good book. If Alfredo likes it, he would tell me if he didn't. Excellent. Well, I, like I said, I, you know, thank you for sending, but I'm a, almost halfway through and I love it. Oh, Brian has a question for you. Hello. I just wanted to say, first of all, I, I started, I actually bought your book right now. And like, I'm looking at the first chapter, Death Takes a Sabbatical. That's a wonderful chapter title. I just got to say that 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 grips me right there because Amazon gave me the free uh, Kindle preview. So I'm mm-hmm. like looking at it, I'm like, okay, I got to read this. Any book that has a title like a chapter title like that, I got to take it. But I've always been curious about this aspect. It's not necessarily about the literary, the writing aspect of it, but it's about receiving a claim now you have on the amazon page for anyone who wants to follow along on the amazon page there is a really beautifully written like um i don't know how they call it in the publishing world like quip from armistead Maupin, the author oh of yeah. the tales, yes tales from the city uh tales from the of the city now how do you feel when you hear these types of like reviews and acclaim for your book especially from someone who is well known, at, well known like Amistad uh, Maupin and your book getting compared to not only well Da Vinci Code but also a really good book Midnight in the Garden, Garden of, of the Good and, and Evil and yeah yeah evil. yeah that's well, got to be heady stuff I, well I have to say I mean I'm getting kind of choked up now I know that sounds silly because but Alfredo says I cried at the opening of an envelope <laughs> I, I, I met Armistead Maupin 36 years ago when I first went to San Francisco as a young writer and Richard Labonte, who is a different life bookstore, said, you should call him. I said, I can't call Armistead Mop. And he said, sure, he's listed. So I called him, 
and we got together. He was uh, moderating a reading with the wonderful author and film historian Vito Russo at Modern Times in San Francisco. And Armistead and his uh, then partner became pals, and we stayed friends over the years. Armistead Moffin is from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Both of us have old Southern families, so we had that kind of Southern gay thing going on. I call it grits, guys raised in the South. And <laughs> I love that. I, I sent the book to Armistead, and I knew that if he didn't like it, he would be a gentleman and say, I can't review this. And then he, I got the email. He and his husband, Christopher, had moved to London. This was in March of this year. COVID had just started. And he emailed me his review, which says, David Eugene Perry's Upon This Rock is an elegant, twisty thriller. It could do for Orvieto what Midnight in the Garden of Good and Even did for Savannah. He said, how's that? And I started crying. Oh, my gosh. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And Fenton, Fenton Johnson, who is an award-winning uh, gay novelist, uh, called it uh, the Da Vinci Code, but a lot, uh, gay, the Gay Da Vinci Code, but a lot, lot better. Mm-hmm. I, I've been very lucky with the reviews and the Amazon readers' reviews. I think people like it, and it is a mystery. Uh, you know, it's inspired by two writers that I love a lot: C.S. Lewis and P.D. James. Great mystery writer. She mm-hmm. didn't start writing until she was in her fifties as well. And I wanted the book to be a mystery, but I wanted it to be kind of fun. And Mm -hmm. uh, another reviewer said that Lee and Adriano are kind of a modern gay version of Nick and Nora Charles, the martini sipping uh, husband and wife team from the 30s. So Mm -hmm. I hope it's a fun book. So so, um, uh, first of all, when did this, when did it first come out? When did it become available? September 15th. It was September 1st in electronic version. Mm -hmm. And then there was a slight printing delay because of COVID of two weeks, which considering everything else that has gone on this year, that's not bad. Yeah. So the first the first people got their printed versions just last week. So and so uh, uh, are sales ramping up these days? Do you know how they how's it uh, I, 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 I do know. My publisher said it is the best selling book in pre-sale they've ever had because Ooh. now there's six months of marketing. Wow. And so the pre-sale has been great. Uh, I had a crazy idea, would act, which actually I'll float on the radio because maybe the guys at the Palm Springs Cultural Center are are listening. Since readings are more challenging now, still because of COVID, I had an idea to do a drive-in reading at the Palm Springs Cultural Center and team it with a showing of a movie, which is referenced in the book, Tea with Mussolini. It's got Cher, Maggie Smith, Judy Dench. I mean, what's not to like? I love that. And then I find the book. So there's my crazy idea if anyone from the Cultural Center. I think that's a a great idea. So so your next book, are you going to take the thing out of the drawer from your 20s or are you going to try something else? Well, I I think I'm going to polish on the one from my 20s, but I've already started working on, um, I wouldn't say a sequel to this, but a continuation of the two characters, Five Years in the Future. It starts after COVID. I got the idea for the book a few months ago. And I don't want a book about COVID, but I don't think anyone who has lived in and through this year cannot be impacted you by it. you got to reference it, yeah. yeah. And since my husband is from Spain and the book is in Italy, two countries that suffered a lot during COVID, I want to pay tribute to that. So I, yeah. the next book uh, is tentatively called The Captain's Table, starts on a ship at sea, and then goes on to Italy. David Perry, congratulations upon this rock. Get this book. It's fabulous. I'm halfway through. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Thank you for being here. Thanks. 
You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. Hey, welcome back to The Culture Corner with Bonnie and Brian. We got some news. We always like to end our show on some news. More showbiz news. (laughs) Now, well, you know, I think we want to pretend that the coronavirus crisis is over, but... It ain't. No, not quite. Sorry. So, what's going on with the coronavirus crisis? Well, Scream 5. Now, for those of you who don't know, and... I'm a little surprised we're already five movies in. The Scream franchise is a series of movies that revolve around a killer that goes around haunting... I'm going to just basically say Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox because they're the three they're survivors. All, they're all in the same... They're always in the movies, right? right. All three of them, yeah. Yes, okay. and the first movie premiered in 1996, and it's been an influential movie for being so metatextual with how it deals with movies, which means like always referencing the rules of horror films. The film itself is famous for setting up rule, making fun of the rules, but also playing by them. And each and each film tries to kind of make commentary on how horror films function. So the second one's about sequel, third one, trilogies, fourth one, remakes, Mm -hmm. fifth one. I'm not so much, not sure about what's going on, but to get that's the backstory for the Scream movies, in case you haven't seen a Scream movie in, since 1996. <laughs> but, um, all right, so production for the sequel, which has all three actors in it, they don't have COVID, but three cases of COVID have actually happened on the on production set. on set, with, and they're trying to resume on Monday after shutting down for four days. So, in a couple days from now, they're going to try to resume four days, they shut down for four days to do testing, I imagine. And from my understanding is that they're trying to stay on schedule so they can release the film for the 2000 for 2022. I mean, I get it. I understand why they would want to. I get it. Like, I understand that they want to get back to business as soon as possible. But everybody does. But but we got to be we got to be smart about it, especially considering that this is a franchise that. You know, I'm not saying Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox are older by any means. They're still relatively young mm-hmm. in their 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. But it gets to a point where this virus can hit someone. Yeah. And it's surprising. Now, the thing I want to say, though, specifically is the fact that that the film itself... Um, <clears throat> give me a second. Sorry. I got something in my eye real quick. Yeah. Now... I do not want this film to get damaged by COVID by having one of the actors get sick yeah. and then more and then more wouldn't be worth it. No, it wouldn't be, especially yeah. considering that the whole crux of the film is the fact that these actors Those are three, back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially since the original director isn't back. But we'll have to see because honestly, I keep hearing all these stories about COVID nineteen affecting sets. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we shouldn't we should be very careful, especially where they're trying to film at, North Carolina. Oh yeah, they yeah. there's a hot spot. I I'm curious about this um Lulu Wang doesn't want Ron Howard directing a Chinese pianist movie. Tell us about that. So Ron Howard's going to be directing. Now, Ron Howard, he is a director. He did Solo, A Star Wars Story. Been very successful. Da Vinci Code yeah. and Cinderella Man. Now, he is actually doing a biopic about Lang Lang, a 38-year-old pianist from Northeast, Northeast, <clears throat> Northeast China who has performed all over the world and has played with some of the most well-regarded orchestras. And he is considered one of the best modern day pianists and keyboard players. The film that is going to be ba- is going to be based on his autobiography, Journey of a Thousand Miles. It currently doesn't have that same title, but there's a good chance it will be. Mm-hmm. This will be. This isn't going to be the first time Howard has directed a film 
following the musician's life. The first one he directed was Pavarotti. And okay. now Lulu Wang is the director of the movie The Farewell, which received a lot of love and attention over the years for over the last couple years for being like this innovative film about Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good movie. So Wang went to Twitter to talk about how she felt that he wasn't the right director for the role mm-hmm. and that it should have been a Chinese or Chinese American director. And she believes that that there are certain intimate details about Chinese culture that Ron Howard... He's not going to get or cover, yeah. And it's true. Who Just, Now, who, are people agreeing with her I in think, general? I think, I think overall people tend to be kind of on the everyone should tell their a story that they want to tell. And I think that that's a valid thing to believe in. But mm-hmm. I think and the other set is, you know, Lulu Wing's kind of right because movies about Asian culture like The Joylet Club and The Farewell tend to do a lot better than movies that are, I would like to say, Western directed, mm-hmm. like directed by people that aren't Chinese. Like The Joylet Club and Farewell, The Farewell, they are much better movies than other movies about Chinese culture because they they try to exoticize them too much or add things that may not be Chinese. Like I've seen like the Mulan movie itself. Mm-hmm. There would be parts of it where I'm like, okay, well, I get they, they use the Phoenix symbolism, but that's not exactly You know, it. I think it fa- it's almost the same as having the African-American actors voice car- ac- African-American cartoon characters. Let, let those people, I mean, Ron Howard can direct anything. Ron Howard's had a very successful career. It's not like his career is going to be over. Maybe, maybe he's not the right person. I mean, may, I think that there's some val- validity to that. And she also said that she doesn't want to direct the film herself. And she, re- and she says that when you look at the mistakes that Hollywood made with the Mulan adaptation, which was directed not by a Chinese director, that it kind of shows that there is a unfortunate, unfortunate situation that happens where they would put too much Westernization when it comes to making stories about Asian people mm-hmm. about East. I get it I get the temptation to want to include like your own western experiences but there is some nuances yeah some nuances and then what was the other thing uh, Disney Disney now Disney has decided to push back a lot of movies but there's only three movies left for two, uh, 2020 <clears throat> so the movies that are still here for this specific year because they've had to push back Black Widow and they've had to push back Jungle Cruise, The Eternals for 2021. The only three movies that are being put that are staying for this year are the <clears throat> are Soul. Now Soul is a movie about people who are about a man who dies and he comes back to life as a soul. And the other two movies they are uh, uh, totally this list went away. Where are they? There it is. Death of the Mi- uh, Death on the Nile, and The Empty Man. Now, Death on the Nile is a remake of the Agatha Christie story. And do you know who's Man. in that? Oh, so is it a cartoon version or is there, or is it live live action? Because okay. they also produ- they also own Fox. And do you know who's in that? Anything? Do you know anybody in the cast? You know what? That's a good question because I actually wasn't really following yeah. Death on the Nile, but I've heard that it has a pretty extensive cast. I heard Lady Gaga was in it. Well, that and should that Kenneth, should get some, you know, buzz. And Kenneth Branagh is in it too. Okay, from my understanding. Now yeah. the thing would be that oh, here's actually the cast list: Gal Gadot, Army Hammer. I keep thinking Arm and Hammer. Yeah, but, yes, yes. <laughs> and Russell Brand, Don French. So they have a lot of really good famous people in it. So it's interesting because the pandemic is pushing these movies further and further away, mm. and it makes sense. 
why would you want to risk people's lives in the it's movie theaters? It's not worth it. I know it's the almighty dollar, but it's not worth it. Yeah. It's and really mo- not. And movie theaters are back on, so if you want to go check, they are showing Empire Strikes Back at all the local movie theaters to incentivize you, which mm. I get. But... All right, thank you, Brian, for all his wonderful knowledge. Thank you to our guests. Uh, uh, you know, with still stuff going on, stay safe out there. We'll see you next week on The Culture Corner.